Listen to the best wrestling podcast in the world. Journey into Wrestling every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, the following. Is a journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. We interrupt the Journey into Comics Network feed for this late-breaking edition of Four News, featuring Andrew Ford. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is episode three of Poor News, the show about political and world news and all of that fun stuff. I am your host, Andrew Poor. I'm glad to be back with you. It's I feel like it's been two weeks, because it has been. But for those of you who have been keeping up with the show since the Poor Report days, uh, last week was Poor Entertainment, and then this is Poor News, and then next week will be Poor Entertainment again. So definitely get you a little bit of mix in your news so jumping right in, there's been a lot going on in the world of both politics and weather, and that's my focus for this week. So jumping right into the political thing, this is revolving uh, Brett Kavanaugh. As you know, he is the judge who's currently in, I don't know what they call it, It's he's, he's in front of uh, the Senate, not the Senate, uh, he's getting to the point where he'll be, he's in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, so he'll be voted to become the next Supreme Court Justice, replacing uh, Justice Kennedy, who uh, retired. So there was some interesting developments on that, and that involves uh, some uh, sexual assault allegations. So this is an article from the New York Times that is, uh, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, under mounting pressure from senators of his own party, will call President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Judge Brett M. Kavanaugh, and the woman who had accused him of sexual assault before the committee on Monday, for extraordinary public hearings just weeks before the midterms elections. Senator John Kennedy, Republican of Louisiana, told reporters Monday afternoon that the chairman, Senator Charles E. Grassley, Republican of Iowa, told senators that there would be an opportunity for senators to hear from Judge Kavanaugh and his accuser, Christine Blasey Ford, in a public setting where senators would be able to ask questions. Both have said they were willing to testify. A Senate Republican aide confirmed that it would be on Monday, effectively delayed a planned subcommittee vote on Judge Kavanaugh's nomination, which had been scheduled for this Thursday. Judge Kavanaugh looks forward to hearing where he can hear his name on of this false allegation. Clear his name, not hear his name. He will stand ready to testify tomorrow as if Senate is ready to hear him, White House spokesman Raj Shah said. The hearings will set up a potentially explosive public showdown, one that carries unmistakable echoes of the 1991 testimony of Anita Hill, who accused the future Justice Clarence Thomas of sexual harassment, an episode that riveted the nation and ushered a slew of women into public office. It will play out against the backdrop of the Me Too movement, which has energized Democratic women across the nation. Mr. Trump on Monday vigorously defended his nominee, calling him an outstanding judge with an unblemished record and dismissed as ridiculous the prospect that Judge Kavanaugh might withdraw his nomination. Nevertheless, he told the reporters that he was willing to accept a delay in the judge's path to confirmation in order to air the new information. He is somebody very special. At the same time, we want to go through a process. We want to make sure everything is perfect, everything is just right. Mr. Trump told reporters at the White House, takes a little delay, it will take a little delay. It should certainly be very much. The willingness of accuser and accused to testify publicly carried the potential for a high-profile hearing over the charge, with a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court at stake. Dr. Blasey, he said, Judge Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her at a social gathering in the 1980s when they were both teenagers. Judge Kavanaugh has categorically denied the allegations, which Dr. Basley, a research psychologist, detailed in a letter sent in July to Senator Dianne Feinstein of California, the top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, who kept its existence secret until last week. 
By Monday, both the letter and Dr. Blaze's identity had spilled out to the open, sending official Washington reeling and intensifying what had already been a nasty partisan battle over Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation. With the Senate Judiciary Committee scheduled to vote on the confirmation Thursday, a vote that now looks that it will almost certainly be delayed, Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, the Republican leader, angrily assailed Democrats for raising the allegations at the last minute. Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, the Democratic leader, demanded the FBI investigate and raise questions about Judge Kavanaugh's veracity. Senators of both parties demand hearings. Among them was a key Republican who may hold Judge Kavanaugh's fate in her hands. Senator Susan Collins of Maine, who told reporters that if Judge Kavanaugh lied, it would disqualify him. Obviously, if Judge Kavanaugh has lied about what happened, that would be disqualifying, she said. She added, for my part, I believe that it's very important that both Professor Ford and Judge Kavanaugh testify under oath about these allegations. I need to see them and listen to their answers to the question in order to make an assessment. Washington advocacy machinery also sprang to life. A conservative accuracy group said it would spend $1.5 million on a television advertising campaign to defend Judge Kavanaugh, while Liberal Group announced a $700,000 ad buy intended to pressure senators in swing states. Allies of Judge Kavanaugh made public letters from two ex-girlfriends attesting to his character while a hashtag sprang on Twitter, hashtag Believe Christine. So you know this will be a very partisan thing in an already partisan climate that we're existing in where Democrats and Republicans are already at each other's throats about all of this. It seems like there's no seeing of this backing down. And it seems like people are willing to spend a ton of money for this on both sides and seems like the conservative party always seems to have a little bit more money to spare for ad buys and kind of speaking of what's been kind of going on with this whole thing i thought it was interesting after this came out a letter miraculously came into being that was from 65 women so this is a a fox article so 65 women defend kavanaugh as a good person amid allegations so more than five dozen women came forward Friday to defend Supreme Court nominee Judge Brett Kavanaugh against an alleged high school incident calling President Trump's picks for the high court a, quote, good person. These five women who claimed to have known Kavanaugh for more than 35 years penned a letter to the Senate Judiciary Committee to vouch for his character. We are women who have known Brett Kavanaugh for more than 35 years and knew him while he attended high school between 1979 and 1983. For the entire time we have known Brett Kavanaugh, he has was be, uh, he has behaved honorably and treated women with respect. The letter read, We strongly believe that it is important to convey this information to the committee at this time. The wrote that while Kavanaugh attended Georgetown Preparatory School and All Boys High School in Bethesda, Maryland, they knew him through social events, sports, church, and various other activities. Many of us remain close friends with him and his family over the years, though through the more than 35 years we have known him, Brett has stood out for his friendship, character, and integrity. They wrote, in particular, he was always treated women with decency and respect. This was true when he was in high school and has remained true to this day. They added, the signers of this letter hold a broad range of political views. Many of us are not lawyers, but we know Brett Kavanaugh as a person, and as he has always been a good person. The letter comes made a controversy ignited by Senate Judiciary Committee ranking member Diane Feinstein, the Democrat from California, who released a statement this week saying that she has turned information about Kavanaugh over to the FBI, she did not detail the accusation, and Republicans accused her of trying to orchestrate a last-minute smear. I've received information from an individual concerning the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Finds he said in a surprise on, but the individual strongly requested confidentiality and declined to come forward or to press the matter further, and I have honored their decision. I have, however, referred to the matter of federal investigation authorities. Fox News confirmed that the women involved an allegation about Kavanaugh while in high school in the 1980s. A woman who was also in high school at the time accused Kavanaugh of holding her down and, forcing, and trying to force himself on her during a party before she got away. The details were first reported by The New Yorker. The woman also claimed Kavanaugh was joined at the time by a friend who turned up music to conceal her protest. The unnamed classmate quoted in the New York article as having no recollection of that is Mark Judge. Fox News confirmed. His entity was first reported by the Weekly Standard. 
She's absolutely nuts. I never saw Brett act this way, Judd said. I still does not know the identity of the woman who made the allegations. Kavanaugh denied the allegations Friday. I categorically and unequivocally deny this allegation. I did not do this back in high school or at any time, Kavanaugh 53 said in a statement. The White House blasted the charges on Thursday. Not until the eve of this confirmation as Senator Feinstein or anyone raised the specter of new information about him, White House spokesperson Carrie Kupek said in a statement. The execution comes after Kavanaugh's Capitol confirmation grilling and ahead of the committee vote on sending his nomination to the full Senate. The FBI conducts background checks on all major government appointees, including Supreme Court nominees. Upon receipt of the information on the night of September 12th, we were... We included it as part of Judge Kavanaugh's background file as per the standard process, the FBI said in a statement. Fox News had learned that the White House would need to request that the Bureau follow up on the letter for the matter to be investigated further. Despite the controversy, Senator Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley said there was no plan to delay Kavanaugh's confirmation. Grassley said the panel vote on Kavanaugh for December 20th, and Republicans hoped to confirm him by the start of the new court session on October 1st. One thing I find interesting about this, yes, women came forward and defended him, but it seems weird that almost overnight, a letter from 65 women who I'm guessing aren't all friends. They weren't just hanging out and be like, oh, let's all write a letter. Like, these are 65 women from back in high school days that, though they claim to still be friends with them, were not all hanging out or on, like, a Facebook group like, hey, let's all hang out and talk because our friend Brett Kavanaugh is going to be Supreme Court Justice. Oh, no, this happened. Let's all write a letter to Congress or to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Like, that seems weird. It's almost like they had this they already vetted 65 women and be like, was he good? He was good. Okay, well, can you sign this saying he was good and that he didn't do what he's going to be doing? What do you think to do? Oh, don't worry about it. If it comes up, we'll need this. If not, don't worry about it. Like, it seems a little weird that I don't know where a letter of 65 women. Like, who just has that ready? Like, I think if I had to get a letter tomorrow that from 65 women that I know from high school to and this has only been 10 years later, that said, like, I'm a good person. Even with Facebook, I don't think I can get those letters signed in 12 hours. Like, I don't think that's possible. And it's been 10 years since high school. This guy's been out of high school for 35. Like, I don't know how that even works. So, that's just my two cents on it. I'm curious to see how the rest of this goes down. Definitely by the next poor report, we should have some more information about uh, Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation, if there's a vote, because we'll be getting close to the October 1st or the vote by the full Senate, so we'll kind of see how that goes there. But I guess moving on to that, to some rough natural disasters, and there's some natural disasters and then some man-made disasters, but moving right along, this is something that kind of shocked me when it came out. So this is an article from CBS News from, uh, I think, earlier today, maybe yesterday. Um, so Massachusetts residents are allowed to return to their homes after gas explosions. So residents in communities north of Boston that were rocked by natural gas explosions were given the green light Sunday to return to their homes. Governor Charlie Baker and other officials announced the move at the morning news conference that electricity restored to nearly all affected homes and businesses in Lawrence, North Andover, and Andover. Gas service remained shut off while officials continued to investigate what caused Thursday's explosion and fires, and crews inspect the gas lines and connections to the homes. Dozens of homes were destroyed or damaged, a teenager was killed, and dozens of people were injured. Thousands of residents were forced to evacuate. Crews have shut off nearly 8,600 gas meters in an area and cleared homes of any gas. Officials said gas company technicians will turn all the meters back after safety inspecting of the entire system are complete. The process has to take several weeks. They warned residents not to turn the meters back on themselves, not to turn on gas appliances until services are restored, and to call 911 and leave their homes if they smell gas. It's evident to me that all of 
of us at the Merrimack Valley and the residents of our state are being as supportive as they can be and as kind as they can be in one another during this most difficult time, the Republican governor said. We still have a very long way to go, but we're very happy that people can return to their homes this morning. Firefighters in Lawrence responded to a fire at an apartment complex Sunday morning after residents had returned, but officials said it wasn't related to the gas problem. National Transport Safety Board Chairman Robert Sumwalt said Saturday there was no evidence to suggest the explosions were intentional. Said investigators will be looking at how local Columbia gas officials responded to a pressure increase in the Lawrence area that was detected at the company's pipeline control center in Columbus, Ohio, prior to the explosions and fires. Government records reveal at least three other serious explosions in Massachusetts, West Virginia, and Ohio have been linked to Columbia Gas. The company, a subsidiary of NYSource, a utility company that serves more than 3 million customers in seven states. Lawrence Mayor Dan Rivera became emotional at the news conference while thanking people for support and donating to the Lawrence Emergency Fund. People have been very generous, he said, and usually when we have issues like this, it's really hard to come up with cash because it's mostly shut out of people's hands. Oh, it's mostly stuff out of people's hands. So the fact that we were able to raise 100000 in two days is heartwarming. It makes us very thankful. So, yeah, it seems pretty crazy. Just a bunch, just all in a grouping, just houses just basically exploded from a natural gas explosion that just had to isolate in a few houses throughout cities in Massachusetts. So I hope everyone uh, else is safe and that life can kind of move forward after that. But I just wanted to share that with you because that was kind of big news that came towards the end of last week. Um... And before I get into what has kind of been going on um, with Big Weather, it also involves something else that we haven't seen in too much, unless, even though people who are big fans of Shark Week, um, that involves uh, a shark attack at Cape Cod. So, uh, this is an article from CBS News. It's friends describe frantic attempt to save screaming shark attack victim. Popular stress of beaches in Massachusetts, sorry, and more bad news for Massachusetts, will remain closed to swimming Monday because of a deadly shark attack over the weekend. Arthur Medici, 26, died Saturday after being bitten by a shark. The attack happened on a stretch of the Cape Cod National Seashore. It was first deadly shark attack in Massachusetts in more than 80 years, reports CBS News' Nikki Batiste. About noon on Saturday, Medici was riding the waves on a boogie board with the friends about 30 yards into the water off Newcomb Hollow Beach in Wellfleet. That's when one witness says he saw what looked like a 10 to 12 foot shark attack Medici. More than a dozen beachgoers scrambled to help carry Medici to safety after he was bitten on both legs. I sprinted back up the beach, said Joe Booth, who witnessed the attack, screaming like a lunatic, Call 911, there's been a shark attack. Medici was rushed to a nearby hospital where he was later pronounced dead. Isaac Rocha was uh, in the water near Medici when the attack happened. He said he and the victim were like brothers. He was screaming, and then I saw like a shark tail, uh, Rocha said. And I swam to him as fast as I could. In that moment, I dragged him back to the shore, and I got a boogie board foot strap, and I kind of tied it around his thigh to try and stop the bleeding. Saturday shark attack is at least the second on Cape Cod this summer. In August, 61-year-old Bill uh, Lighton survived after being bitten by a shark. After two attacks, I think we can be concerned that it's a dangerous situation, Lighton said. The presence of sharks in these waters is not unusual, experts say. We see these sharks every day along this coastline, marine biologist Massachusetts Recreational Fisheries Program Manager Greg Scomel said. They are there in big numbers and people have to be vigilant and be aware of it. Scomel believes like the shark likely mistook Medici for a seal, which are often close to shore along Cape Cod's beaches. And as a result, these sharks are coming as close as they possibly can without risking their own lives to try and kill and eat these seals. And that creates a bit of a problem because it's exactly what people are utilizing the shoreline. And so you know, this is something we're looking at. It's something we're trying to advise swimmers about so that it does not happen again. The National Park Service is warning people of Cape Cod not to swim near seals. The shark that bit Medici is believed to have been a white shark. While shark attacks are rare, one study says at least that last year there were 53 unprovoked shark attacks in the U.S. more than any other country in the world. 
so uh, my heart goes out to the family of Arthur uh, Medici at this time. That's definitely a horrific incident, and uh, hopefully there's no other incidents at this time of year. And before I get into what was probably the biggest weather-related news of this week, and that involves um, the hurricane that hit um, the Carolinas, it actually involves FEMA. And that's a report from the Daily Beast that Trump administration diverted $10 million from FEMA to ICE, or ICE. Um, the Trump administration reportedly diverted nearly $10 million from the budget for the Federal Emergency Management Administration to Immigration and Custom Enforcement right before hurricane season began this year. Senator Jeff Merkley, the Democrat of Oregon on Tuesday night, released documents purporting to show the Department of Homeland Security's official request to transfer the funds, which were needed for higher priority detention and removal requirements amid President Trump's ongoing immigration crackdown. The transfer means that just as hurricane season is starting, the administration is working hard to find funds for child detention camps, Merkley told MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. According to MSNBC, a DHS spokesperson confirmed that financial transfer, but said the money did not come from disaster response and recovery efforts. The news comes after Trump praised his administration handling of last year's hurricane season, as an unsung success despite the loss of 2,975 lives in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. So, yeah, it's crazy that right at the time that we need it the most, like right as hurricanes hit the North Carolina coastline and South Carolina and all really in that southeastern coast, that, oh, let's just take $10 million that we could be used for that or for other resources involving FEMA and just take that over to ICE, which is doing things that a lot of people disagree with. So, I... That's just baffling to me that someone could be so crass to do that. And moving on to the, uh, back to the Carolinas. So as, uh, the Hurricane Florence has kind of been downgraded since it was a hurricane over the end of last week and going into the weekend. It's now a tropical storm, but it's still, um, causing a lot of flooding and it's, uh, being called by some monumental disaster. Some areas have not seen the worst of the flooding yet. Uh, North Carolina Governor, uh, Roy Cooper warned. So rescue crews in North Carolina waded through heavy flooding Monday in search of stranded residents after the remnants of deadly Hurricane Florence sent water rushing over riverbanks, spurring the governor to warn that there is no immediate relief from this monumental disaster. Some areas have not seen the worst of the flooding yet, Governor Roy Cooper told reporters, adding that roads, particularly in the eastern part of the state, remain extremely dangerous. The port sitting of Wilmington, which had been cut off by the rising waters, began to see resources move in after one road was reopened by Monday afternoon when the removal of trees and downed power lines and the receding of some floodwaters. Cooper asked the evacuees not re- to return to Wilmington yet, as that the road could be washed out again. The sun began peeking through the clouds earlier in the day, as Florence, formerly a Category 1 hurricane, now downgraded to a tropical depression. Sorry, I said tropical storm earlier. It is a tropical depression. Threatened up more rain across the regions that moved northeast. More than 1,200 emergency responders were performing search and rescue operations, officials said. Some 41 million people remain under a flash flood watch or warning, which alerts stretching from Charleston, South Carolina, up through New England parts of which could see downpours from the remnants of Florence by Tuesday morning. The storm has been blamed for at least 24 deaths, with the majority of the victims in North Carolina. Authorities in Union County said Monday they recovered the body of a one-year-old boy who went missing after his car his mother was driving was consumed by floodwaters on a North Carolina highway. She survived but told police she had lost his grip. In addition, a person died at a shelter in New Hanover County, where Wilmington is located. Fish of their death may have been tried to national causes, natural causes, and super efforts were unsuccessful. With food and water supplies running low, local authorities in New Hanover County appealed for state emergency management officials for help. Water and military-style field rations, known as MREs, were due to be delivered around North Carolina today, or yesterday, as I am saying this. On Monday morning, officials will first try to get go by land using routes selected by the State Highway Patrol. 
If flooding makes the roads impassable, then authorities will use airlifts. When the supplies finally reach the county, they'll be distributed from three locations that will be announced Monday. Many residents in Wilmington, a city of about 117,000, were trapped at home, hemmed in by downed trees and power lines. Countless homes were damaged, and many homeowners who left were unable to go back to evaluate the damage to their property. The city's first responders scrambled to keep up with the requests for help, with the police responding to more than 800 calls on Saturday and Sunday. County offices were shut down until further notice, with the exception of the landfill and county staff who were reassigned to emergency response and recovery efforts. There were around 700 rescues in New Hanover County. New Hanover County Board of Commission Chairman Woody White on Monday said the preliminary state of the current cost of damage in the county is around $13 million, contents lost at around $2.7 million. We hope these numbers don't get worse. Wilmington residents got a break from the rain Monday morning, but storms were expected to redevelop in the afternoon and potentially trigger more flash flooding. And that's just in Wilmington. I know there's a lot more going on through the rest of the state. Uh, so hopefully they get some breaks and things are able to slowly return to normal and they're not hit by any of their hurricanes the same way. Um, Maria came so far after, I think it was Irma? Or I forget what the, the name of the hurricane was last year. But in all this tragedy, at least there is uh, some sign of hope and that involves... Some of this being dubbed Noah's Ark. So it's not Noah's Ark like you're thinking of, the biblical Noah's Ark that captures two of every animal. It's actually a school bus. A truck driver rescues 64 dogs and cats from floods of Hurricane Florence. There's nothing like a meal at the Waffle House if you're driving more than 60 animals from the South Carolina coast to southern Alabama inside a school bus, Tony Alsop can attest. Alsop, a 51-year-old trucker from Greenback, Tennessee, was parked at a Waffle House outside Fayetteville, North Carolina on Sunday night for a quick pit stop and a plate of waffles and grits. He'd been on the road since Monday when he hoped, when he hopped in his bus and headed toward the coast, committed to rescuing as many animals as possible ahead of Hurricane Florence. Inside the bus, the seats have been ripped out to make room for its passengers. On the bus' side are the words, Emergency Animal Rescue Shelter. But it could have said Noah's Ark. In the last week, Alsop and his bus have rescued 53 dogs and 11 cats from South Carolina shelters. They're in Florence's treacherous path. And come morning, Alsop expects to search for more. I'm like, look, there. these are lives too, Alsop told the Washington Post during his Waffle House. Animals, especially shelter pets that have always to take the back seat of the bus, but I'll give them their own bus. If I have to, if I have to, I'll pay for all the fuel or even a boat to get these dogs out of there. Alsop, who wants to open his own animal shelter one day, has been rescuing shelter pets from floodwaters with this school bus since Hurricane Harvey ravaged the Texas coast last year. When Alsop saw the news, how numerous animal shelters have become overcrowded with lost or rescued animals, thought he could help. He wanted to help transport the animals to vacant shelters, but he knew he couldn't put them in a semi-trailer. I thought, what can I do? I'll just go buy a bus. He has since helped with rescues during Hurricane Irma and Maria. No bus for the latter. He was feeding horses. And now during Florence. Uh, last Monday, when Alsa began his latest resources, the kennels in his vehicle were stacked from floor to ceiling. Pet food, water bowls, leashes, and toys were strewn about the aisle. But he's rolled along the route. Also kept telling his Facebook followers that he had room for more, asking them to point him to where pets needed help. No one left behind, he wrote in one Facebook post before signing off with his standard line, Love y'all, mean it. In less than 48 hours, he stopped at the Humane Society of North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the Dillon County Animal Shelter, another in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and St. Francis Animal Center in Georgetown, South Carolina, which praises, uh, which sang his praise on social media Sunday. In a Facebook post late Sunday, the St. Francis Animal Center said that also was rescuing all the leftover pets, the dogs and cats, the soldiers couldn't seem to hand off to anyone else. It's all true. Tony sweeped in at 4 a.m. Wednesday morning to pick up our, quote, leftovers. The dogs with blocky heads, the ones with heartworm, the center wrote on Facebook. The ones no one else will ever take. And he got them to safety. Not the most conventional evacuation, but surely the one with the most heart.
Once he had them in the bus, also drove to Foley, Alabama, where his friends, Angela E. Maddox, opened her privately run dog shelter the newest arrivals for the night. She gave them baths and fluffy blankets and spa treatment. Also said until they could find enough shelters or foster homes for the animals. They managed to do it in a matter of days. We just burned up the airwaves, also said. Some people came to adopt some of the dogs and cats on the spot, while also coordinated with other animal shelters or volunteers to meet him in Knoxville, Tennessee, where he'd hand off another 40 from there. Also said the remaining dogs and cats were run off to vacant shelters across the country. And then after a short rest, he got back on the road Sunday and drove until he got to the Waffle House. On Monday, he'll head to Wilmington, North Carolina, if he can make it there. Said he's heard roads are closed, everything is flooded, and no one can get through. But if there was a shelter that needed him, he said, so he is going to try. I really commend him for his actions. I know in, whenever there's a natural disaster, some people in this world, people that I personally don't appreciate what they do, is they'll leave their pets behind. I know some people take the family and some of their belongings, but leave their pet because they don't have room or they know that hotels on the way might not accept it, even though I believe, you can have to look this up, that during a natural disaster, hotels aren't allowed to restrict you if you're escaping from a natural disaster and have your pet with you. They're not able to not uh, let you stay in one of their rooms. So definitely look that up. I know there's some kind of law that was passed um, after a recent hurricane uh, for that very reason. So, And I couldn't imagine ever leaving a pet of mine behind. Cat, dog, fish, I don't care. There's a disaster. Pets are family, and if you leave it behind, there's something wrong with you. So definitely uh shout out to them that's definitely a nice story to end this week's episode on this has been episode three of poor news it's a little bit of a shorter one but there's a lot of news in it and i don't really want to uh, drag on there stay tuned next week for poor entertainment you can also check out all the other shows we have on the network by going to journeyintocomics.com or checking us all out on all where the podcasting uh, sites or services or apps like uh, castbox which i use or podbean uh, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, all of that. Um, you can also check out our Patreon. We can get early access to all of our episodes and exclusive content for only a dollar. And you can tear up from there to get some more special content. But that does it for this week. Tune in uh, next Tuesday for Poor Entertainment and the following Tuesday for another great episode of Poor News. Go check out the other shows I'm a part of, which are uh, Foodies Watching Movies, which will be coming back very soon. And Adulting Ain't Easy, which will be another show with me and Liz next week. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great week.